Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody out there. Uh, welcome to, again, our online gathering. Um, what a strange Christmas this is turning out to be, uh, not being able to gather together. Just to let you know, we are going to have basically our Christmas service next Sunday. We will not have a Christmas Eve or Christmas Day service um, I don't know, it just seems strange to go to your family and say, hey, let's watch TV together and watch the service. So this is kind of where things are right now. And I want to encourage you, uh, as this is another time for family to come over, be safe. Uh, be careful not to widen your circle to a point where you put people in your family, or others at risk. Uh, my daughter, who works at San Antonio, is dealing with uh, inundated uh, people coming be- with COVID uh, because of the Thanksgiving celebration, a lot of people who are having to be admitted, and we don't want to see that continue. And it- it's tragic. I mean, she was telling me Last night when she came home, and she's telling me through tears that she's having to tell people uh, about their family and saying, well, you know, if we incubate them, it will probably never come out. Um, If they're provided that air tube, the odds are that they will have to have that for the rest of their life. And having to be with family as they make that kind of decision uh, because of the virus. And, and it's a hardship because they wanted to get together on Thanksgiving and then this happened to some of the people. And so it, it's it's difficult and it's tragic. Um, that's why we're not gathering and we want to wait until things are safe. We are going to gather again. We are going to continue trying to do things that are helpful and I encourage you to do that as well. I know a couple of you have reached out even to me um, about some of the struggles that you're having, and I hope you continue to do so. Do not live isolated. Reach out to people. uh, Even make the initiative yourself, right? Send out the text and ask other people how they're doing. And maybe you're doing it because you're feeling isolated and alone. It can help you to break that isolation in your own life. But all this to say, we love and miss you and we can't wait to be together again. We, we desire to do more and be more um, and we are trying to do the best we can in this season. 
And when the season ends, we hope that we are in a better place because of all the things that we are doing. So all that to tell you guys we love you, we miss you, and it's an awkward and difficult Christmas, but we are going to get through that, uh, and we hope we can do that together as well. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about glasses, scandals, politics, those two usually go together, speaking Italian, Dolly Parton and Whitney Houston, and picking up my grandson. You know, when you wear glasses like I do, there comes a time after so many maybe years that you notice that the glasses aren't working anymore, your vision is getting worse, or the glasses start getting you know, scratched up and you can't see. And, and what happens is the glasses no longer help you to see what's happening. Your focus starts to become on the glasses themselves. And we don't recognize that our lives, many times we start focusing on things and they are glasses that we're wearing where pretty soon the beliefs that we have become the things that we look at instead of what we were actually supposed to be looking at. And I know that this Christmas season has, again, been one of those times for me to try and reevaluate how I see this season. I've shared with you guys before where Christmas has been a burden to me in the past. And I feel like bah humbug saying those things, right? But it has been a burden because in the times past, it's always been so busy. You know, I wasn't able to do the things that maybe you would with family and things because I was busy putting on programs, busy putting things together. And it was that time of the year, you know, where the people in church just worked extra hard. And it's hard to get past that way of seeing things and to try and get into deeper meaning of understanding. And as I start going through this story of Jesus' birth, things are jumping out to me that are, are allowing meaning to seep back in, at least into my understanding. And I hope that's true for you too. And that's what I want. I want this season to grow deep in its roots and meaning for us, that we would be able to celebrate it in a way that is genuinely life-changing. That's been our desire for so long is to allow Christmas to continue changing the world. And that's what we want to do, right? At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, there is this genealogy. And that genealogy is something where it's unique. It's unique for a number of reasons. It's unique because there are women mentioned in that genealogy, where normally that isn't the case. And of the five women that are mentioned, two of them are foreigners, and this is the lineage from which Christ came, right? And all of them are in some way a little bit scandalous in their stories. We have the story of Ruth, who is a Moabite, and you guys are familiar, most of you, with the story where Boaz is a person who owns land and Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, tells her, hey, this guy is interested in you. You need to make yourself available to him. And so it says that when he is sleeping, follow him to the place where he's sleeping and uncover his feet and lay there. Now, that just sounds weird to us, right? 
at least it does to me, but what it is is she's really making herself available to him. And to, to get into detail of this, I don't think we need to. Just remember that they didn't wear underwear under their clothing and you get an idea of kind of what's going on when she's getting more than his digits here saying, hey, I just want you to know I'm interested. And it it turns out to be a beautiful story and I'm not saying anything happened there. I'm just saying this was pretty forward of Ruth. Then we have what's Uriah's wife, which we know to be Bathsheba. And we know the story of David and Bathsheba and we definitely know David's issues. We, we, we see the, the things that David did, and they were horrific. Uh, what he did to get Bathsheba to not only be his wife, but to cover the pregnancy and kill her husband Uriah. We don't really know the detail of Bathsheba's story. We don't know if she knew David would be out there, and so she just happened to be bathing, made herself known to him. We can only speculate, but we again see that there is this cloud of scandal covering this. This is something you would see on the front page of the National Enquirer as you're going down to the newsstand, right? And then we have Tamar. Tamar, who married Judah's son, who was then really kind of neglected from the family. And so what she did is she played the prostitute disguised herself, Judas slept with her, she became pregnant, and we have that story in the lineage of Christ. And then there is Rahab, who was a prostitute in Jericho, who had the spies come and stay hidden, covered for them, and she is part of this lineage as well. All four of these women have some scandalous history or part of their story. And Matthew's intention, in all likelihood, was to pave way for Mary, a virgin woman engaged to a man who is now pregnant, and it's not from her soon-to-be husband, but the Holy Spirit. There is this human element of gospel that we can lose sight of if we make it all angelic and we put it through the Purell and everything is nice and sanitized and clean and we miss the rough edges that are really in the story. And we're gonna take up in Luke chapter two and get a little perspective from Luke and his gospel. Luke chapter two, starting at verse one. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesarea Augustus, from Caesar Augustus, excuse me, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room, no place for them in the end. Gosh, you just remember those ways. There's no room in the end, so you just 
forget what you're reading and read what you remember. We get some insight into Luke's purpose when we consider what a census was intended to do. Now, today, censuses are a little bit different, right? They're determining the need for political representation, uh, for social services. That's the intent of a census today, but not so in the ancient world. Amy Jill Levine, in her book, Light of the World, tells us that a census determined the local tax base as well as, in some cases, the number of men who could be conscripted for military service. So there is a definite political agenda to a census. And what we see here, the power of Rome, we see power based on monarch, power based on money, power based on military. That was what Rome ruled by, those things. And we also know Luke is providing an alternative. He's painting a picture of the political system, power structure that existed and the subversion that's taking place, providing an alternative, the kingdom of God based on care for the poor, on servant leadership, and on treasures in heaven. So it's no longer this monetary power struggle and grab, but it's actually a servitude and storing up treasures in heaven. And Luke's using the census to provide one more occasion to indicate Joseph's Davidic connection. And it also explains why Jesus of Nazareth was not born in Nazareth in Galilee. Now, Matthew has a different story, right? His story begins and talks not about a census. There there is not this aspect to it. In Matthew's gospel, we see Mary, Joseph, and the baby move from Judea to Egypt to Galilee. And Matthew presents Jesus as the new Moses, the new deliverer for his people. And so we're seeing the writers use story to try and pull us into an understanding of not only the times they were living in, but what this was supposed to do in that time. And just like Moses delivered the children of Israel, here is the Messiah to deliver the world. And just like Rome was controlling and ruling by power, And might, here is the new king ruling in a totally different way. The reference to Quirinius is designed to remind readers about the political system who were at hand at this time, who promoted armed rebellion. There were people who were against that. And again, we need to know kind of the historical context because After the death of King Herod, when Jesus would have been a child, Rome proclaimed the local census. And at this time, a Galilean known as Judas the Galilean. And here, as with Mary, because we don't have last names and we have way too many Marys and way too many Judases, we have to kind of put these pieces together, right? But he began a revolt, And we see this actually written in Luke's writings in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, verse 37, he says, At the time of the census, this one, 
Judas the Galilean appeared and got some people to follow him in a revolt. He was killed too, and all his followers scattered far and wide. This was spoken by the rabbi Gamaliel, who, who said, this will come to nothing. It'll be just like this. And now Luke is writing to tell us that this is not in the same political vein as this Judas the Galilean. He's writing to speak of something different, the kingdom of God, which does not look like the political system. Because when you say the kingdom of God and you talk of kingdoms, and you talk of kings, people's minds go to political settings that they are familiar with. And Luke is purposely setting Jesus' birth in the context of a census, announcing that Jesus and his followers are not part of a movement intent on military revolt. Instead of rebelling, Mary and Joseph actually obeyed the governmental command, even though it caused personal hardship. And so we're seeing already a a different attitude. Oh gosh, don't we need a different attitude? Wouldn't it be great to be known by our different attitude? I'm gonna leave that there. The gospel sets the stage for the divine in the common, the miraculous in the mundane, the heroic in the hardship, the people being told these stories because, again, most of them couldn't read. So what we are reading here is likely handed down by people telling this story to other people where they would talk of all the things we just read and are gonna read. They would have known the history of all the characters mentioned, They would have known about Ruth. They would know about Herod. They would know about Quirinius, the governor. Those things are a part of their life. And so when they're hearing these things, they're putting them in these contexts. And the stage is being set in their very lives to understand what's unfolding right here. And then we see that they go to an inn. And, and we think of inns like hotels, at least I do. Oh, they went to the inn, and it's like, well, oh, you're on the third floor, room 307. Inns weren't like that. Inns were more public places, and a public place is not a place to have a baby. At least I don't think so, right? I mean, I don't think you want to go to a public place where there's a lot of people gathering here and there to have the baby. So Luke again paints a picture that points to Jesus' purpose by him going to the stable and being born in a manger. Growing up, I learned some words in Italian, being Italian. Now, some of them I can't mention because they're curse words. That's what was coming out of our family. But I remember one sentence and it would happen when we were at the dinner table and they would say, that means shut up and eat, right? Good Italians, stop talking and eat more. And that word manja, it's actually similar in what we see in manger. It means a place of eating. It's a trough. It's a food trough. And once again, he's painting that picture. Mary places her baby where food is found. And how appropriate. For this baby will later say that he is the bread of life and that this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. By locating Jesus in the manger, 
Luke is anticipating the communion story. Even more so, the name Bethlehem, where he's born, means house of bread. You see, there's so much in these stories that is meant to spark our imagination, that is put down so that we will be drawn in, to help us see that there is a trajectory that this story is headed that is going to involve us. And if you go to a traditional Jewish household or a service where there's a meal you would begin with grace before the meal that says, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. We should remember the manger in Bethlehem, not only at the Last Supper, but also in connection to all the passages where Jesus shares a meal, right? And Luke's gospel is full of these things. He shares a meal with Zacchaeus. He shares three meals with Pharisees dinner at Emmaus, the final meal of broiled fish afterwards. Reading Luke should make us hungry. But not just for bread. Hungry for more of the story. Hungry to hear what is being said and to digest it, to take it in our lives. A story that takes place when there is a meal. And then we move on, continuing in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them what they always say, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased or goodwill among men. Now I know we sing on a cold winter's night, right? That was so deep, the first Noel, but all likelihood this was not winter. If it was winter, the sheep and the shepherds would be freezing. But what's happening here, the idea of these shepherds is that the angel again appears to these kinds of people, appeared to Zechariah in the temple in Jerusalem. He appears to Mary at her home in Nazareth, in Galilee, and back to Judea in the fields of Bethlehem. The divine messenger can be anywhere. And so the message as well, it can show up in religious institutions, in homes, or out in fields. You see, this good news is declared in all these places to all these people. 
And we're already starting to see that this is a message that isn't meant for just the elite, not meant just for the religious, not meant for those who are in a certain status. This is a message that is spreading to everyone. The shepherds, like the manger, also have symbolic value. First, they provide, as do Mary and Joseph, a contrast right, to Caesar Augustus. They are in the field where they are protecting their animals. They represent those who care for the vulnerable. And remember, Jesus in the other gospel speaks of himself as the good shepherd. So here are people concerned for, caring for the vulnerable as opposed to a king who oppresses over the vulnerable. There's a song that most of us know that Whitney Houston sang. When she sang, and I'm not going to sing it because I'm no Whitney. When she sings, I Will Always Love You, was from the movie The Bodyguard, and it was a mega hit. But I just found out even today that song was actually written by Dolly Parton. There are so many songs that someone will write, but then someone else might make famous. Right? And it's not, it's like, oh, this song is really good, but boy, the way they do it is really good. Now, I've never heard Dolly's version of I Will Love You, but I can tell you I would always compare it to Whitney's. All right? And I heard Whitney sing, and there's little comparison. We have a similar story happening in the gospel, right? The reference to good news in verse 10 is the term angelion in the Greek. And we see it in Mark and in Matthew. The term primarily relates to Jesus' mission. For Luke, the good news begins actually at his birth. Now, in Western Turkey, we have from about 9 BCE an inscription that celebrates the birth of Augustus Caesar as good news. Same word, Yangelion. And it calls Augustus a savior, both of us and our descendants, and speaks of how the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good news for the world. You see, this good news is a song that was sung before. But this song is being sung better. This song is different. Oh yeah, Caesar, they said, was the good news for the world. And Luke is saying, oh, I've got some good news for the world. And once again, we see the political contrast of Caesar and of Jesus, a king and a king. Same words, same good news being used, the words being used, but a different meaning. And once again, people are having to take their glasses off and say, you know, I I thought this is what good news meant, but good news means something different. This is much different and this is much better now for the shepherds the immediate good news 
is universal. Right? It's joy for all people in verse 10. And here's a contrast to the census, which is one of displacement, if not worse. And it was for the whole world. Here's good news for the world. Here's a census for the world. Here's the kingdom of men. Here's the kingdom of God. Here is the good news about Caesar Augustus. Here is the good news that Christ was born. The shepherds learned that a savior has been born in the city of David. The universal is always anchored in the particular. We see that Jesus is fully located in this Jewish geography and Jewish lineage, even as Mary sang in the previous chapter in her song, The Magnificat. He is the fulfillment of the promise to Israel. What kind of a savior he is, is going to be shown. The Old Testament typically speaks of salvation as an event that occurs in history, right? Being saved from a war, Uh, from hunger, from disease, from a plague. Those are all areas of salvation. For Luke, salvation comes to mean salvation from sin and death, but it is also anchored still on the people and those things. It means that there is a, a new way of seeing this idea of what is happening. Salvation is this and it is more. Whatever the oppression in that community, those people who hear it, they're hearing good news that is saving them from their condition and saving them from more. And the signs that the shepherds receive isn't a supernova, right? Or even the angels, right? They come and they say, we have a sign for you. And I think, you're the sign, right? You're an angel. You're, you're all neon and glowy, right? That's a, that's a sign, but that's not the sign, right? You'd think that'd be enough, but it is the bands of clothing. It is the food trough and the baby. The refusal to offer signs of supernatural status fits in Luke's early story. It's not the supernatural. It's the baby. It's not the king and the census. It's the new king. It's the new good news. And once we figure out the sign, right, that's being told, and the sign to Mary was the pregnancy of her cousin Elizabeth, And once we figure that out, we see whether it's a pregnant woman or a mother who has just given birth of a newborn, even a baby clothed in a stable, our next step is to figure out the symbolism or what the sign means. If this is a sign, what is it saying? If we can start to look for the light of the divine, in front of our eyes, rather than searching the stars, we'll be ready then to hear stories of sowers and seeds and vines and fig trees and fish. Signs are all around us if we take the time to look. 
And Luke is setting the stage for all the signs that would follow in the teaching and life of Christ. You're looking for the spectacular, but listen to what's being said. You want something magnificent, but you're going to miss it if you don't see it in the common. Continuing in Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told him. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told. The shepherds get there and they don't see a baby glowing in the dark who's able to speak and has a full set of teeth, right? They see a baby like babies are seen. They see him wrapped up and there's nothing particularly special what their eyes see, but there is everything special about how they interpret what they see. You see, they have new glasses on that are seeing things in light of a promise and no longer just, oh, this is just a baby. When we see the shepherds, we see Luke express another concern. You see, Jesus himself doesn't really need angels as much as he needs these shepherds. He wants the human companionship. He wants humanity to be more like companions. And he wants humanity to be that for us as well. Able fully to love their neighbor. I imagine that Mary and Joseph appreciated more the shepherds than another visit from an angelic host that's going to just rock their world again. In fact, these people brought comfort to Mary's heart. It's interesting that she treasured the words from these shepherds in her heart when she herself had heard from an angel. Why would a shepherd bring comfort to her heart and not just the words of an angel? Thursday night, I went to pick up my grandson from his daycare. And I... I've gone there so many times and, and I've picked him up and, you know, you go there and I'm wearing the mask and I say, I'm here for Judah. And they say, okay, we'll go get him and they'll bring him out. And I can't tell you how many times they've opened the door and he's looked at me and I've seen disappointment on his face because I wasn't grandma and I wasn't mom and I wasn't dad and I wasn't Auntie Lauren, all the fun people, right? But this time they opened the door, he saw me and he smiled and he ran and he jumped in my arms. And it was like the best. He didn't want anyone else. He wanted me. There's something about that companionship when we are needed, when we are seen, right? Luke tells us that the shepherds saw not just the baby, but saw 
Mary and Joseph in verse 16. Isn't that what we want to be seen? See, the angels brought this magnificent news. The shepherds saw them. What good is great news if we can't share it with someone? What good is having something if it's not seen? Seen sometimes even in our exhaustion. Seen in our frailty and our humanity. This is what Mary treasured in her heart. And it reminds us that these are the things that we too can treasure, right? These are the things that start to unfold in our lives, that that start to take root and be able to build upon them. It's in these relationships, in these people that are around us. Right? The signs are gradually going to unfold, not only to be treasured, but also to be more fully understood. You know, we're going to have to take these glasses off and put some new ones on as the story continues and grows over time. The visit of the shepherds, like Mary's visit to Elizabeth, transforms everyone who's involved with the story. The shepherds are assigned to Mary. They tell her, We experienced it too. You weren't hallucinating when you saw an angel. We saw it too. And sometimes that's what we need. We need validation. Do do you see it too? Do you understand this gospel too? It's hard to explain sometimes what Jesus means to me. And then I talk to someone and they say, you know, this is what he means. I go, yeah, me too, right? It's that identification You understand what I'm going through and you validate it by your experience as well. We see you and we see it too. At the same time, by specifically mentioning Joseph, Luke assures us that he too has confirmation to whatever Mary had told him. Sometimes we need confirmation. Right? How many times have we told our kids, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this, and then they come and they tell us, you know what my friend said? My friend said we should do this. It's like, ah, I've been telling you that my whole life, you know? My wife does that with me too. She's telling me something, and I'll say, oh yeah, my friend told me this. She goes, I've been saying that. It's like, oh, sorry. But sometimes we need to hear from others that helps us understand these things. And so today we see the shepherds In every manger scene, right, we see the three kings, even though there weren't really three kings, we see the magi. And the magi always take kind of precedence because they're all dressed fine and they brought gifts, right? You know, the shepherds, they didn't really bring anything. Their clothes aren't spectacular. But Luke keeps his eye on the ball here. And he keeps our eye on one message of the gospel which is lifting up the lowly. 
We love stories of miraculous. When someone is prayed for and healed, it's like, oh, that's so great. Or, or when, you know, provision comes the day before the bill is due, right? And, and it's paid for. We love those stories. But so many times, what really matters is what's happening in between the stories. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a person tell a great story of something wonderful that happened, something miraculous. Oh, it was great. But then the next week, they're still the same person. It's like, didn't that story affect you? No, but then I see someone who is living life with an awareness of the miraculous in the mundane, aware that something special is happening in the unspecial way that it happens. And my life becomes changed when the ordinary becomes extraordinary. When the simple has depth and meaning. And in the gospel story, that is exactly what we see. A sign will be given. What's the sign? It's a baby. There is good news. Oh, you heard good news, but I'm telling you, this is a different good news. And it's not in the monarch. It's not in the money. It's not in the military. It's not going to be with the pomp and the power. It's born in a feeding trough. And we are meant to step in and munge, to eat up this story and let it fill our lives. And I hope this Christmas that can happen with all of us. Maybe you're like me and you've gone through some just dry Christmases and maybe this is even worse with a pandemic. Maybe what you look for is the opportunity to celebrate with family and now you can't and you're struggling to deal with that. Don't lose sight of what is meaningful here. Appreciate the people even if you can't see them. Understand the God who is working behind the scenes and eat of this story afresh. Let's pray. Lord, may these stories inspire us, Father. May we recognize that the writers intentionally were provoking us to thought May we not lose sight of that. May we clean our glasses or replace them. May we see with new eyes, Father, the importance of what is being said and the need for it in our lives. And I pray again for those who are struggling. Lord, this season is a time where many people fall into depression and I fear those who are in that place again with all the other things piled on top will fall deeper still. Lord, may they see 
the simple. And in the simple, be sustained. May you feed us, God, with the life that you give through the difficult times that we go through. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May you see the good news in the simple. May you understand that the gospel is for you and is for right now. May your lives be filled with all that God wants to give. May you feast in his grace, his peace. God bless you guys. Love you. Miss you. Take care. See you next week or take two Wednesday night at 7 p.m. here on YouTube. God bless guys. Love you. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.